Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 234 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for our guide to pre-op and post-op for surgery, where we're going to be covering what to do before and after an operation to promote recovery, speed healing time, mitigate side effects of medication, and really just get you back on your feet as soon as possible. Yes. This is actually one of the most frequently asked questions to Becky and I as clinicians to our patients, whether they're getting in for a routine colonoscopy or if they are having a c-section or an elective procedure maybe they've successfully lost over 100 pounds and they're looking to tighten up the skin that's around their body and even things like bypass and so much more um a, a lot of the orthopedic procedures that we see like rotator cuff ACL, so much more. So we're going to cover all the ground and a lot of this information is also going to be wrapped up in one of our protocols over at AllieMillerRD.com. When you go to the learn tab, remember that we do have various protocols from immune, uh, cold flu and virus support to allergy seasons to estrogen dominance and so much more. So now we will have a pre and post-op surgery protocol for you guys as well. So everything will be all in one space. But today will be a really informative conversation. We'll also touch on even just like wound repair and prevention of infection in the household as natural tools that you can use for your family and so much more. All right, before we dive in, our updates are this episode is going live on April 5th, right? Yes. Um, so this week, actually, starting on the 8th, we're going to be having a flash sale on our 10-day detox. And we're going to have those packs at 20% off, which is huge. We, like, never, ever do this. Um, so we want to support you guys in your kind of spring cleaning, post-spring break 10-day detox. And we'll talk today too about how the detox packs can be such a supportive tool if you have to go under anesthesia, if you have to go on a steroid medication, and just such a good thing to have in your household. Most definitely. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the code will be DETOX2021. And it will be running from the 8th through the 10th of this week. So from, what is that? Thursday through Saturday. So three days, flash sale. Make sure you get a box or two. I like to do at least a semi-annual detox. And this year, I will be starting my personal 10-day detox on the 22nd of April. So I will be sharing along my journey on Instagram. I always do a detox between Christmas and Thanksgiving. So I like to do something kind of like early December. 
December so that I don't just roll down the hill of the holidays. And uh, this is that kind of midpoint in between, kind of getting me ready for the summer and shifting gears, bringing in all the leafy greens and bright acids. And it's a great way to also play with your metabolic flexibility. Our 10-day detox protocol is available as an ebook as well as a virtual class, which includes the ebook. So you can get the ebook for just $9.99 or the comprehensive virtual program and ebook for $19.99. Both are a fantastic value. And uh, we do have a tight keto protocol, and you can also even layer in a bone broth fast with your 10-day detox if you really want to accelerate gut support and um, especially some metabolic and weight loss goals. And then you could also use this 10-day detox as a way if you've been doing keto to otherwise explore metabolic flexibility, maybe play with some of those legumes, uh, liberate in your fruit section or your starchy vegetables and bring in all of the spring flavors. Totally. I'm going to join you at least on the diet portion of the detox and maybe sprinkles and packs in there depending on how much Noah is relying on me still? Probably quite a bit. Um. Yeah, but that evening one, yeah. we've, we're talking to yeah. our Naturally Nourished Ambassadors. And I think a good point, you know, of course, whenever we code things on our website, as far as whether it's safe for pregnancy or breastfeeding, we have to take the most conservative stance. And, um, you know, the kind of name of the game is if you are a breastfeeding mama and you are drinking alcohol, well, then the insult to injury impact of having a detox pack following the alcohol consumption, especially if you can segregate that like six hours from your next feed, that's still mm-hmm. going to be more supportive than not using that detox pack at all. And same thing as far as if you wanted to do a 10-day detox as a breastfeeding mama, you would just want to not do the full three packs a day because you don't want to pass on through your lymphatic system toxins through your breast milk. So the idea is that, you know, if you have six to eight hours, if babe is sleeping through the night, you do your final breastfeed at 7.30 or something like that, you could absolutely take a detox pack right following that feed and then still very healthily with no concerns, breastfeed at 5 a.m. and all would be beautiful. Yep. That's what I do now. So yeah, could even layer in a little bit of extra support. Yeah, yeah, and you know you can always work it with your plan, and it just depends on you know exactly how much complementary solids babe is taken in. Yep. So some breastfeeding moms would be able to do you know two packs a day, and that's pretty close to full protocol. You just kind of want to be mindful of that timestamp. All right, and also coming up beyond the ten day detox promo, um, our next level keto program for those who have done our keto program in the past will be starting on April 12th. Next Monday. Yes. Yes. So we're super excited about that. This is a more informal, intimate experience. As Becky said, there is like a prerequisite that you have already done our 12-week food is medicine course. And so this is only available to prior members. And this will be a lot more conversational based. Uh, This is going to have six topics of focus, but every other class is going to have more of a Q&A open format. And we're going to be talking about mastering your macros, really understanding between the the phase one, phase 1.5, phase two, what works best for you and your carbohydrate threshold, uh, challenging members and questioning whether we're overfeeding in fat or whether we're getting an ample protein intake, uh, mixing up our meal plans and just staying inspired. We're going to also talk about kind of leveling up our wellness. So layering on different elements of whether you want to call it biohacking or functional medicine or just leveling 
lifestyle interventions. So we'll be uh, layering in things like different forms of movement, as well as intermittent fasting, as well as uh, exercise approaches and other detox supportive elements. We will be talking about use of a CGM and so really getting kind of tight into understanding your glucose trends. And we'll be doing a whole Q&A on the gut and so much more. So if you've participated, I think that this is a great way to freshen up and really bring yourself into the equation in a much more intimate way. We're going to be keeping it pretty tight. I believe we said 50 to 75 members in this first round of level two, and we'll be doing kind of open with option of having your camera and mic on conversation throughout the course. And then if you're feeling like FOMO um, you, and you haven't had level one, well, you must join us in May. We will be doing our next 12-week food as medicine ketosis course. So this will be our second to last one in the year. We'll have one in May and then one in September. Um, so this starts May 5th and it runs every other week. This is much more formal, deep dive, functional medicine. We cover all of the things from cardiovascular health, inflammation, the HPA access, and the impact of stress stress on our adrenals, our thyroid, and how that impacts our metabolism. We talk about hormone balance and all of the things. Dysbiosis, <laughs> detox, yes. neurological conditions, so, so much. So if you love the podcast and you haven't joined our 12-week program yet, you must sign up. Yep. All right. And before we get into it, um, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Fond Bone Broth. And what a timely sponsor because bone right? broth is my favorite care package to send to a loved one that is going through a surgical procedure and uh, Fond makes the most beautiful gifts because their jars are just absolutely gorgeous. These ball jars that have these beautiful labels that we hold on to and use over and over again in our house. Uh, but Fond bone broth is really wellness well-made. They have slow simmered, lovingly tendered broth from simmer to seal and they exclusively produce in stainless steel with artisanal well water that has natural occurring minerals and they test daily for excellence. They take this further by pairing with local organic farms and using cage-free chicken in their broth. They incorporate the backs and the feet so you get a beautiful gelatinous collagen and gelatin rich bone broth, which not only is a facelift for your gut, aiding in healing that epithelial lining, so that's that gut blood barrier preventing leaky gut, but we know that that collagen and gelatin also supports connective tissues. So we think hair, skin, nails, but also tendons. So when we're thinking of like our Achilles heel or our rotator cuff or any areas that get a little creaky with age or sports injury, bone broth is going to be one of your best friends to aid in regulating that elasticity and supporting connective tissue repair and resilience. Uh, they take things to the next level by making delicious flavor profiles that really serve as like a sous chef in your kitchen. And they add that synergy just like we do with our supplement blends to ensure that their ingredients are functional. So they add in, of course, turmeric with black pepper, knowing that that biopurine is going to aid in the bioavailability of the curcuminoids. And that's a really fabulous golden broth. They have beets with serrano peppers in a beautiful blend. Um, they have shiitake mushrooms with various forms of allium. So they're always taking things next level on the flavor profile and the food.
food as medicine. Go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD and you can save on your order of Fond Bone Broth and put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout to let them know that you heard about them from the Naturally Nourished podcast. Yes, I was actually with my mother as she was recovering from an eye surgery and my uncle who had a total hip replacement while I was up in Connecticut this winter. Um, And I got them both on the bone broth train with Fond. I don't think they would have done it otherwise, Um, especially my uncle. He's not super adventurous when it comes to food, but he was was digging it. Um, He was pretty into the turmeric one. He said it like, Turmeric. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah. Love it. Um, all right. So obviously, you know, avoiding surgery is part of the goal of maintaining optimal health. But even then, life happens. Sometimes it's just unavoidable. Um, so today we'll really be talking about preparing for surgery, speeding up recovery, and then support for specific types of procedures um, and reducing risk of infection, complications, reducing pain and recovery from anesthesia. So you've got the whole gamut of support, whether it's an elective procedure, um, whether it's an emergency surgery, and you at least have, you know, the things on hand that you need to recover. Most definitely. It's estimated that there are 50 million inpatient surgeries annually in the U.S., and these spread from dental procedures to ACL reconstruction to hip replacements and GI resections or major gastrointestinal surgeries. And this is really a frequent conversation, as we said, with our clients to support them directly or a family member. And unfortunately, especially we have to be really mindful and pro-vigilant because there is a huge influence of iatrogenic causes of mortality. And iatrogenic essentially means medically induced. Mm -hmm. And so the more informed, we always say that it's really important that obviously our, you know, medical field has a whole gamut of experts and highly intelligent individuals, but everyone has the capacity for human error. Everyone has the capacity for being burned out, run down and oversight. And so the most that you can be your own advocate and understand and ask the right questions, likely the better outcomes you're going to see. Totally. Um, And I think a lot of what we'll cover today kind of runs the gamut of, you know, regardless of the exact procedure or the part of your body that you're having surgery on, you know, trauma is trauma, tissue is tissue, and there's a lot of overlap with different types of surgeries. Most definitely. So when we're thinking, we were kind of, as we were putting this together of our personal experiences, I, I know that Brady, as far as our families, has the most dynamic surgical and trauma story from his really severe car accident that I don't think I ever even shared on the podcast. Um, I I didn't write down notes, so I can't reflect on the exact year, but we were dating and we were in college and Brady uh, got hit by a semi truck that crossed the median and literally like T-boned him and his car went up in the air and knocked the axle off of the semi truck. So he had to be jaws for life cut out of the vehicle, helicopter flown to the hospital, and um, he had a broken sternum, a broken pelvis, uh, his hand, they called it filleted, because his hand was literally like torn open. 
Um, and so, yeah, it, it was quite traumatic. He was in the burn unit at the University of Iowa Hospital. He had to be transferred. He was at a smaller hospital that couldn't handle the hand surgery. Um, and so I got I had to ride with him in the ambulance. It was a very traumatic, intensive time. And that was when I was working at Mercy Hospital in Iowa City as a diet tech and didn't know much about functional medicine, but was just starting to kind of get into the, the medical world. And um, I know that uh, especially emergency times can be quite stressful. We'll talk sure. about the impact of yep. stress yep. on the individual. But personally, I think of my oral surgeries that I had a year and a half ago. And then the C-section would have been my most serious surgery. And um, I shared an entire episode and we can put in the notes my natural C-section because a lot of you question on that, like what types of things we were able to do. So when we're thinking about surgical procedure, there's an importance of, and and, and I say this all the time, especially even with patients going through IVF mm-hmm. or anytime you're kind of uh, in this functional medicine mindset, we have to also respect and honor the allopathic medical world when there's times to surrender and there's times to just say, okay, this is in your hands. And then I'm going to try to understand the aftermath. Um, and so when we think of a surgical procedure, we think of the impact of sterility and sterility is quite important because the concern is translocation of bacteria, which could become septic. And so in the sense of like really even, even a dental deep clean, um, if you're doing a really invasive deep clean gum, if you have receding gum line, um, you probably want to, if they're not going to provide you uh, antibiotic, which you could opt out of if you would like, you definitely want to be provigilant and be taking the herbal immune and the berberine boost to support that microbial activity because you're kicking up, as we know, periodontal disease and heart disease are very tightly connected. And that's because of that infection and the bacteria that you could hold in your gums translocating to the cardiovascular system. And we now know when we look at foam cells and when we're looking at plaque, that a lot of this is bacterial mediated inflammatory repair. So regulating bacteria infection is huge. And then if you're looking at surrendering to the sterility, like for instance, in my C-section, I absolutely was on IV antibiotics. Right. And right. I would never try to opt out of that. Right. Like that is a huge, I had an extra inch on each side because Stella's frank breach, um, all of the fluid, um, and my uh, placenta had had lessened and was too low that she could not be flipped by any means. I was over my due date, and um, she had to literally be scooped out. It wasn't just an easy kind of hip pull. Um, so there was a lot of physiological trauma in the uterus as well during that time. Um, so I was on IV antibiotics. I was also on um, anesthesia. It was regional. Uh, so I was on a spinal regional. And um, that was good because general anesthesia would have put me under, if you will. And so you would want regional if it's something like a C-section. Now, if I was getting another procedure, and I, I would always choose general mm-hmm. <laughs> because right. I wouldn't want to be aware. Right. I only wanted to be aware to see my daughter being born yeah. and be a part of that and have some memory and emotional connection. Um, and so that's something that we weigh, would weigh out as well of the trauma of experiencing and seeing the blood and smelling your burning tissue. Um, cause I, I remember all of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, that's a cost to benefit thing. Totally. Yep. Um, and then, uh, so that would be something in consideration of anesthesia and then pain. Um, you know, I was on an IV, uh, of morphine. So I was on a morphine drip. Um, the nursing staff was shocked that I had the morphine pulled out as early as I did. I think it was within four hours post-op. Um, and, uh, I had someone DM me just recently on Instagram about, 
they have a C-section planned for a similar scenario. And they were like, well, what do I do about breastfeeding? And I said, you breastfeed. Right. Like, um, I think that there's a lot of misconception of when you're on pain medicine or even a hospital vaginal birth, a lot of times you'll go on short-term oral pain medications. And it's a cost to benefit of, again, your body, if under so much trauma and pain, and you're trying to white knuckle the pain, but you're retching from pain, then you're not going to produce breast milk. Right. So your body producing the breast milk and actually providing that colostrum, even though yes, there is opioid and pain medication in your body, that supersedes you not getting the breastfeeding going, and then you just try to wean as quickly as you can. Sure. So all little minutia of, of trade-offs that, that would be very situational is kind of all I'm trying to share within that. Yeah, I don't have as cool of surgery stories. <laughs> I don't as, know if it's cool. as your family does. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I've had dental procedures and and wisdom teeth removal, and you know, wish I knew then what I know now. It's funny. I am um, had my passport picture taken like two days after my wisdom teeth were out. My mother like insisted on doing it when I was in college or something because um, I was on spring break. So she's like, let's knock out the wisdom teeth and the yeah. passport. And I remember like my face was so swollen that people don't recognize me when I go through customs. They're like, are you sure that's you? <laughs> uh, but not not as much um, remarkable stuff as, as you guys. Well, and I think the common <laughs> things that we think of are, uh, you know, opioid or pain medication induced constipation. Sure, yeah. And I see that to be really severe and especially to kind of call that out in, um, you know, any procedure, yes. But especially with cancer care, um, I've seen a lot of individuals that already have weakened immune systems and gut damage from chemotherapy to be very prone to bowel perforation. Mm -hmm. In fact, I can count on one hand a couple people that I know from a direct relationship who passed away from sepsis who were getting treated for cancer and had opioid-induced constipation and their bowel perforated. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really vigilant in bowel motility always. Um, And so we'll talk a a little bit today about, you know, keeping those bowels going, but that's where relax and regulate is your best friend. The phytofiber, hydration, hydration, hydration. And then, of course, the post-sterility, resetting your gut flora to help with that bowel motility is really essential and key in preventing yeast infection. So we would be bringing in kind of the trifecta for women where we'd bring in our new women's flora probiotic after any form of antibiotics. We would definitely bring in uh, the rebuild spectrum for everyone. I do that post-op and pre-op and then the targeted strength. And then after that first month post-op, then you could kind of level down if, if desired. Sure. And even using things like the GI lining support is going to be multifactorial in terms of supporting the gut lining from, you know, any trauma plus is going to be supportive of wound care. So we'll get into all of that. This is taking me back to uh, my dietetic rotation days, honestly, and, and thinking about how, you know, as a dietitian in the hospital, you can only do so much, but you can make recommendations that I think can be quite powerful um, in terms of patients with pressure ulcers, um, those that are recovering from surgery or a major wound, those in the burn unit, that was always a, a big thing of recommending high protein for them, zinc, arginine, glutamine, and I would always throw probiotics in there and sometimes even get questions on that. I'm like, they're on an antibiotic. Everyone in the hospital should be on a, a probiotic of, of some sort. Um, but I think, you know, 
worth saying some surgeries are going to be in and out and some are going to have a long road to recovery with a lot of follow-up. So, um, a lot that you can do kind of pro vigilant, you know, ahead of time and what you put in your post-surgery kind of kit, or if you're preparing for a surgery for a family member, same thing. Most definitely. And I remember, unfortunately in the inpatient setting, you know, often the options that you have are like the insure right surgery formula which may have higher amounts of certain amino acids you know so we might see things like higher arginine or glutamine in there but we're going to see it paired with high fructose corn syrup and all sorts of other gnarly additives i just pulled one up right here so this is the um insure it's called let me see the name of it it's called insure surgery immunonutrition shake okay so sounds good um let's see the ingredients here so the first ingredient is water followed by corn syrup followed by sugar followed by milk protein concentrate sodium caseinate l-arginine fish oil that's good canola oil medium chain triglycerides gum arabic uh so uh some kind of guar gum additive uh, short chain fructo oligosaccharides, uh, citric acid, and then less than 5% of natural and artificial flavor, blah, 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 blah. But um, we're seeing, of course, soy, corn syrup, and sugar in the right. higher concentration. And this carton has 45 grams of carbs, only 18 grams of protein, and only 9 grams of fat. Yeah, I remember back in those days, I would like try to. <laughs> get the kitchen to make because they could make protein shakes and I'd be like can we just put like everything we'd want to put in that instead of doing one of these insure or boost and unfortunately in the hospital setting a lot of times that's like all that's available um so you know in that case I remember talking to you about like should we bring your Vitamix to the hospital for yeah <laughs> for your c-section and I know you had bone broth and gelatin, gelatin and I had, and had I your had backpack pyrexes of gelatin yep. and the nursing staff was shocked that I was up and walking at day two I was like I want my catheter out yep. I want my IV out I already stopped the drip I'm good I'm gonna stay hydrated and I will show you that I can walk so I can get out of this hospital and I left 24 hours earlier than they typically release after a c-section and um yeah I just did a lot a lot a lot of of gelatin and um, Brady started actually on grass-fed whey and fish oil after mm-hmm. his trauma. And he's been on both of them pretty religiously since. And it's funny, his sister's a dietitian, and that was like her big thing. She shipped him his first ever thing of grass-fed whey. We were in our early 20s, and she's like, I, th- I think you need to really take okay. this. So good job, Brady. Yeah, all good stuff. <laughs> okay, so diving right in, if you know that you're about to have surgery and you have some time to prepare, what would you say are the biggest priorities during that pre-operation? period or you know whatever time you have leading up to the surgery well I think it's always best to ensure that you're metabolically healthy first and foremost a lot of procedures are going to require fasting usually and they'll call it NPO nothing per oral and usually that's at least 12 hours sometimes as short of a period as six hours and sometimes upwards of more like 18 to 24 hours where they will have you fasted or on a restriction of a clear liquid diet. 
And then, of course, if we're talking about like a colonoscopy, there's going to be an actual bowel prep um, guidance that's going to want to clear out your colon for a clear view with that camera. Um, so knowing if there is any specifics on the fasting is really important. Having good blood sugar metabolism by keeping your carbs optimized leading into this preoperative period would be best so that you're not having hypoglycemic crashes and um, blood sugar imbalance. So that, that means that if you're making ketones already, preceding this, you're going to fast much more successfully, feel much more sound. Uh, you want to think through during this period leading up for a couple days, ideally, if you could batch prep or prepare some meals in advance. So I would make sure that as we go into the foods for post-op, these would be all considerations. I won't list them all because we're going to list them yeah. in a moment. Yeah. So all of those therapeutic foods, you'd want to make sure that you have set up, frozen, ready to go, maybe batch cooked. Um, and you could even pre-freeze some smoothie packs, which would be a great way to get in that grass-fed whey for the amino acids and then of course having a good understanding on the assessment risk so weighing out cost to benefit of all these procedures this should be done of course well prior to scheduling and going through the rigmarole of insurance and whatnot um, learning if there's any preventative uh, tools or uh, for instance like when you're talking about a rotator cuff maybe you'd consider doing some injections of uh, lubricants first. So you might play with hyaluronic acid first, or there's a lot of other compounds that might be considered not generally a huge fan of the steroids uh, because there's just not high efficacy. It's more of a preventative survival timeline to get you through. Um, but we can see from the lubricants that are new on the market, some good longevity and actual tissue repair. Um, and we see the same thing with like stem cell and there's a lot of novel interventions now that could be done at maybe lower risk. Sure. Being able to avoid surgery and avoid the recovery in the first place would be great. Totally. And then having an understanding on your medication changes and supplement changes that might, um, you know, interfere in the operation itself. So we think of often um, blood thinners and the influencing tools that are going to regulate inflammation as well. Okay. And then diet focus, you said being metabolically healthy is kind of the big one there. Um, what are the big um, kind of areas of focus with the diet? Yeah, I mean, it's extremely important, especially as we go into the elderly population where surgery is higher concentrated as far as susceptibility because injury, right, especially after like fall hazard and even thinking of cardiovascular procedures and so forth. Um, so, you know, about 40%, unfortunately, of hospitalized patients tend to be malnourished. And as we age, the increase of our nutrient deficiencies are greater. And then especially for those that have gastrointestinal diseases like Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, as well as those that are dealing with cancer, especially those that have had treatment with chemotherapy or radiation, because both of those are going to interfere with nutrients. So being on a quality multivitamin, super important always as a foundation, but especially for a couple months leading into the preoperative state so that you have the nutrients that are important for repair of your tissue. So we're thinking about things like vitamin C and we're thinking of things like zinc for wound recovery and heal, pantothenate um, and the B vitamin family and so much more. And then on our macros, really ensuring that you are getting ample calories leading in. You might consider fasting post-op, um, but beyond that short-term fast leading pre-op, you want to have a good adequate calorie intake. Um, you want to focus on protein and fat as your biggest macros of need. And then getting diversity of phytocompounds and plant-based antioxidants is going to provide you good variety of vitamins and minerals on top of that multi. 
And then blood sugar control, super, super important because elevated glucose levels can actually increase your risk of complications. Yeah, most definitely. You know, we see time and time again in research that surgery-induced insulin resistance can really lead to elevated glucose levels during the operative and surgery period. And this occurs in up to 60% of surgery patients, and it raises the risk of complications, including death. Um, So mortality goes up. Um, The body, when it is in a higher glucose state, um, white blood cell function is not optimized, and we see in high blood sugar levels the inability to combat infection if some there was a influence of um, contamination or you know the sterility was compromised or whatnot there's going to be more prolonged bacterial infection uh, more prone towards sepsis you just don't have your own when the white blood cells aren't optimized just like we've talked about in the constructs of immune and pandemic they're not there to drive the natural killer cell response and um, we see that blood sugar levels can be impacted both on the low and the high, but the higher the ones that would really interfere with recovery. So I think going pre going uh, keto pre-surgery could really be helpful. And, and bonus points, it would be anti-inflammatory and could help with weight loss if that would improve the outcomes, such as you know someone who's having a joint replacement that's overweight, less weight bearing on that joint, Or if you're going for bariatric surgery, maybe you could lose some of the weight on your own prior. Yeah, and um, especially if we're thinking of cardiovascular procedures as well, you know, the more visceral fat that we're able to lose, which we can see it's more stubborn, yes, than the subcutaneous, but the visceral fat is the stuff that's closest to the organs, and that's what really drives that dysmetabolic syndrome, uh, which is that whole cardiovascular hypertension and um, diabetes world. And so I think, yes, weight loss and blood sugar maintenance is best to ensure that your body is able to handle the trauma of the surgery, to recover the most effectively, and then also to prevent future issues. Okay. And then on top of, you know, a keto diet um, that would be anti-inflammatory, we could layer some anti-inflammatory supplements prior to surgery. It's just an arrow we'd want to be careful with um, in terms of the timing because of that blood thinning. So let's address that and talk about kind of what we could do leading up if if we've got a ways to wait and we're in physical pain and then what we need to hold and, and for how long. Yeah. And so if you have a set date for your surgery, again, if it's a planned procedure and you're doing something that uh, a surgery that has pain involved with it, um, then doing anti-inflammatories in advance, um, for instance, like if we're talking about, especially especially in the world of bone, joint, mm-hmm. tendon, tissue stuff, um, then absolutely things like super turmeric, inflammazine, EPA, DHA extra, and cellular antiox could all be fabulous considerations. Um, the super turmeric, EPA, DHA extra, and cellular antiox are in our anti-inflammatory bundle. So that would be a great thing to purchase for a family member that you know is you know awaiting a procedure a couple months out and in pretty debilitating pain because we want them to be able to reduce their dependency on, yes, the opioid-based drugs, which are very addictive and, um, as I mentioned, can also cause cognitive issues. And, um, of course, that opioid-induced constipation, which creates a lot of bowel stress, but we also want to lessen their use of NSAIDs, um, that whole family of Aleve, Advil, naproxen sodium. This is often, naproxen sodium is uh, gonna be a 
um, NSAID that's often prescribed or like ibuprofen 800, the higher milligram dosages. And these really destroy the gut tissue lining, which drive leaky gut and can drive more inflammation over time because if your gut damage occurs, then larger particles from your diet or your intake get into the bloodstream and your body responds with inflammation. So thinking of these natural anti-inflammatory tools pre-op but not sensitive to the date would be a good thing and then post-op most definitely you can even double triple the baseline uh, dosage that you'd see on our website to really help to regulate the inflammatory mediators and I really think of these cytokines prostaglandins interleukins all of these chemical warfare of inflammation as like a dam so especially if the individual was on prednisone or they were on a steroid um, we don't want to just pull that leg out of mm -hmm. the stool because that dam will come rushing and they're going to get a lot of pain or a lot of that inflammatory cascade of their disease state so we want to layer in these natural anti-inflammatories to help to kind of pack up the dam or put mud in it, if you will. Um, but the benefit to these natural compounds are that you're actually getting support of reduced oxidative stress. You're getting support of the liver. You're getting supportive in the case of inflammazyme, which is probably the most superstar of today's episode. Um, you're going to get support on favorable tissue recovery and repair post-injury or trauma. And so all of these things work in a synergistic way beyond just that pain alleviation. Yes. Um, and you mentioned some of them important to hold prior to surgery. So really this is the world of anything that is going to be considered a blood thinner just for bleed risk during surgery. And sometimes with certain procedures too, you're already going to put, be put on, you know, aspirin or um, an anticoagulant, just kind of depending on, on clot risk and what the procedure is. So you wouldn't want to also have your supplements doing that same thing. Most definitely. And so we would be looking at supplements that are, we would hold for about three to five days. Five days would be conservative. Um, and this would be in our line, like the EPA DHA extra or any form of fish oil in a supplemental form. High dose turmeric, which would be our super turmeric, most definitely. Um, the inflammazyme, because it has turmeric in there, would also be held pre-op. Herbs, many of them are also vasodilators or blood thinners. Ginkgo is one. Uh, ginseng would be in our adaptogen boost, so that formula would be held. And then um, if you're taking like a baby aspirin, that would also be held. The cellular antiox actually is one that you can take to regulate inflammation that does not have any known blood thinning effects. So that's one that you could keep in your mix mm -hmm. leading up. And as we get into the detox support would actually be a really favorable friend to keep in the pre-op space. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and then also in this world, I think we talked about, you know, looking at any pre-medications and trying to think through how can I mitigate the impact of this, you know, without um, compromising the outcome of the procedure? So, you know, you might be prescribed like a PPI to accompany an aspirin prescription um, because that's going to um, reduce the risk of GI bleed. So you might be able to like swap out, for instance, the GI lining instead of that PPI. Yeah, most definitely. So you could, instead of buffer the production of acidity, you'd be coating your gut to prevent the gastritis with the GI lining mm -hmm. support. And I think that that would be much more therapeutic. And that glutamine in there is also going to support the facilitation of uh, your recovery post-op. So I think GI lining is definitely a good one to consider. And then if you had to take, as far as like mitigating, right? If you had to take an NSAID, mm -hmm. taking the GI lining most definitely yeah. prior to using that medication, 
um, because at least you are counterparting that harmful effect of the NSAID drug. Um, I already mentioned earlier, but since we're in this section, if you are taking an opioid uh, for pain, I would absolutely take that alongside with the EPA DHA extra and the uh, relax and regulate so you're kind of lubricating mm -hmm. and supporting that bowel motility and then confirm that you're getting enough fiber in the diet or uh, layer in that phytofiber and absolutely be taking a probiotic if you're taking an antibiotic um, i generally do recommend if you're taking the antibiotic twice daily you could still take the probiotic at different times so like separated four to six hours out from the times that you're taking the antibiotic or if you're taking the antibiotic just once a day in the morning then you take your probiotic in the evening but it is really important to note again that oftentimes in a surgical environment an antibiotic like i said is, is definitely a necessity and then you just re-inoculate and do what you can to reseed. Sure. So doing like the targeted strength and the rebuild spectrum and as you mentioned the women's flora would be a really good one for any women having a procedure um, and you know our beat the bloat cleanse down the line once you're kind of out of the woods potentially if you did see any refractory yeast overgrowth. Yeah, yeast is really thrifty, and any time that the body gets hit with an atom bomb of antibiotics, it's ready there to take up space. Yep. <laughs> so you want to yep. be pro-vigilant for sure. And another reason, again, to keep your carbohydrates in check, because, of course, if you're eating a lower-carb diet, you're not going to be flourishing that yeast with sugar. Okay, and any tools or anything you like to use with patients for um, that fasting period? I know you mentioned that maybe a fast, like, post-op and, and, you know, that to help with accelerating recovery time and kind of tissue turnover um, anything that you like to use in that fasting window yeah most definitely so bone broth is key um, bone broth and electrolytes and uh, coconut water could all be considered and all these would be great in a little care package um, bringing in a quality salt um, so like redmond real salt Often we see uh, dehydration is one of the most, when I talked about iatrogenic complications, mm -hmm. honestly, hypokalemia, meaning too low of potassium, um, hyponatremia, too low of sodium. We can see those two nutrients play such a dynamic impact that can drive more medication and interventions in the medical world when you're hospitalized than necessary. So it, you should be on, on IV fluids, but sometimes again, like it, maybe your drip got removed because you wanted to go off the morphine and you were still supposed to stay on an IV fluid bag, but that got removed. At least you have your Redmond Real Salt and you're getting in electrolytes sure. and being pro-vigilant with your bone broth. Um, but bone broth is going to help with that tissue recovery as well. Um, and then gelatin, as I mentioned, what I did, um, which you can do all of these things also in the timeline of bowel prep for a colonoscopy. And um, I didn't see this in your notes, so I'm just going to address this now because yeah, I know this will be a question and we'll include this in the um, protocol for sure but a lot of people always want to know is there an option instead of that nasty bowel prep uh -huh. and the idea is yes there is a mag citrate in a yep. liquid form that you can buy without colorants and without sweeteners and um, we'll put the link in today's show notes as well so you know if you need to just straight up empty out your bowels for bowel prep and then be on that 12 to 24 hour clear liquid you can do bone broth you can do gelatin you can do coconut water you can do salt and you can do your of course good amount of water and you can use this really clean mag citrate and you can flush through everything and show up for your colonoscopy you do your probiotics at bed and then of course the gi lining leading up um, for at least about five days in a row i would double down because of that 
physiological abrasion of the scope. You know, that's one of the main risk factors is that the scope could perforate. Mm -hmm. So taking that GI lining and being vigilant with your collagen bone broth um, leading in, and then same thing after. And um, we would go about a whole week post uh, your colonoscopy where you would double down on your probiotics. So you would take like one at rise and bed of the targeted strength probiotic and the rebuild spectrum. Yeah, I'm glad you hit that. And when you're making your gelatin for a colonoscopy, don't use red. Oh, yes. <laughs> don't use any um, red juices. Beets yeah. or, right. <laughs> Beets or, you know, cherry juice or something like that. That's usually my go-to gelatin. So um, doing something that's lighter in color. Um, we have those like lemon-lime gummies mm-hmm. actually that um, I think also have some vitamin C powder in there. I think that'd be a great option. Most definitely. Okay. And um, what about dealing with pre-surgery nerves or jitters or dealing with the stress of having someone that you're going to be caring for, you know, through their surgery? All very real stuff for sure. So I think that if, again, if you're not doing general anesthesia, which generally you will be doing general anesthesia unless it's a C-section, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise, again, why would you want to be aware right. <laughs> of all the things? Right. But I'm thinking of like in a um, regional uh, spinal for a C-section, or even just like topical yeah, and like dental. Um, dental procedures. Yeah. I think music is key. Yes. So yeah. like, make a playlist. Um, you know, don't just leave it up to the universe for whatever the radio is on, because it might make you have <laughs> terrible nightmares or something. I don't know. You know, um, I have a Bob Dylan story about that, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I think that aromatherapy, if possible, would be really cool if it's permitted in your area. Um, Relaxing music or a playlist that brings you peace. Um, You know, understanding what's happening in your body, asking or letting your surgeon or team know before or after if you want to be told step-by-step what's happening or not, because everyone's going to have their different threshold or desire. Um, essentially using all of the tools in the anti-anxiety diet would be key. So you could do the four, seven, eight breath. You could work with mantra. You could work with a lot of the mental emotional support elements, but also, especially again, I would drive the attention to the microbiome and gut repair chapters of that book. And I would definitely recommend Gabacalm for this scenario, um, especially like that day pre-op. You know, you could chew a couple Gabacalm. Sure. That's not going to have a blood thinning effect, so you don't have to worry about that. But it will take that physiological freight train of the fight or flight stress response. And that's going to be good because the more you can keep your body parasympathetic, the more you can keep your blood sugar levels balanced, the more you can keep your blood pressure regulated, and again, the better surgical outcomes that you will receive when you can keep blood pressure and your um, blood sugar regulated. I will say if you haven't tried GABA before, there are a small amount of people that actually get low blood pressure from GABA. Sure, yeah, try it ahead. You'd probably want to know that um, because you don't want your blood pressure to drop (laughs) during your procedure, but definitely something that I think would be a great tool. Um, what about CBD in there too? Would that be that be reasonable to keep in all throughout, right? No reason to stop that. Yep. There's not a blood thinning effect that I'd be concerned about with CBD. So I think that would be something I'd, I'd bring in my care pack to the hospital. Yeah. yeah. That was, I think I shared the one thing I asked for while I was giving birth. I was like, can I just have my CBD? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and then lifestyle shifts. I think um, exercise and resistance training to the extent that you are 
able um, to continue some form of exercise through a surgical procedure um, associated also with better outcomes, less frailty, um, and then quitting smoking, obviously. Uh, any oxidative stuff. Yeah. yeah. Smoking, yeah. Uh, you'd want to keep also, like, it wouldn't be a great idea to get your hair colored right before surgery uh, or any cosmetic procedure that's going to be a toxin impact. Sure. And of course, I would watch alcohol intake for at least a couple of days yeah. leading in as well. You could even do like a pre-detox and a post-detox mm-hmm. um, to your procedure, but we'll touch on that in a little bit. Sure. Um, so let's summarize then our pre-op essentials or if you have time to, you know, pack a hospital bag or, or making a care package for someone in your household or a friend, um, what would the like essential items in there be? So again, I think the inflammazyme and inflammazyme, I would be taking like four a day leading up to the pre-op window and then just stop that at day five or maybe day four, somewhere between again, that three to five day window. And the reason I'd be taking four a day for at least like a month pre-op is that that's going to keep your tissue more supple um, and actually help with breaking down like fibroids or any tissue buildup that's unfavorable. So it should help your body to receive the surgery better. Um, And then post-op, that inflammasome would double down to eight. um, And it would be best to keep at eight for like at least two to three weeks post-op. And then you could go back to that four if pain has alleviated and stay at that for about three months post-op. And you might stay on that regularly to support optimal function and mobility in that tissue. That was big key for me post cesarean. And I think that was really one of your main post vaginal births, right? Like raging that. I think I was taking three, three, and three, so nine a day. And I mean, I didn't even, I refused like the one Motrin they gave me at the birthing center. And I didn't take anything else over the counter at all all um inflammasome super turmeric and relax and regulate were like my three big ones and a hell of a lot of adrenaline yep the natural just the natural (laughs) the natural kind (laughs) um and then rebuild spectrum probiotic i would say for sure that's the green one in our line that has the multi-strain has the saccharomyces boulardii which can combat that that stubborn yeast that i mentioned in the body um there's going to be good immunological support there because if you are in a hospital you could be exposed to c diff and mrsa and a lot of these resistant organisms that run rampant in the hospital setting Um, so that would be really key at one twice daily And then the um, targeted strength probiotic, or if you have the restore baseline probiotic, you could just double down on that to start, you know, one at rise, one at bed as well. Um, So gelatin-based jello for sure. Um, If you're doing this in the hospital post-op, then it could be with, you know, cherry juice or grape Mm -hmm. or what, Concord grape or whatnot. As long as you're not doing a colonoscopy, that was the big call to action on the the color because you don't want them to think that there's inflammation interior. Sure. Um, Bone broth. I love, I love the idea of bringing like a six pack of fond jars and a sweet care package. Um, I would definitely recommend making some nut flour muffins and freezing a batch in advance. I love the perfect bars. Uh, Those are great as far as dense calories and a good option to have on hand. Um, And then the grass-fed whey. So maybe doing some pre-packs of grass-fed ways with uh, some ingredients that you could dump um, or doing some smoothies in advance and having those packed in containers. All these would be a great thing. And then these all kind of layer into also what you would keep on hand post-op. Right. Yep, and and bringing a Yeti cooler, I think, um, with a lot of this stuff in it. If you do have to stay a couple days inpatient, um, and even doing that way in like a shaker bottle, if you're not able to access a blender, um, wouldn't be as tasty as some of our recipes, but it could totally work and be a really good way to get you some extra protein. 
Most, most definitely. Okay. And so now that we've covered pre-op, um, I want to go a little bit deeper into talking about anesthesia and how you can best support your body if you do have to go under, which as you mentioned, for most procedures, you will. Yes. So, um, you know, we have local, regional, and general. General is going to be the one that's going to have a temporary loss of body sensation and unconsciousness. And then um, regional or local um, is going to prevent you from feeling pain in that affected site while you still remain awake. Um, especially as we see in the elderly population, there is a risk of general anesthesia with increase for cognitive and mental decline, um, as well as memory loss. And there's actually a condition known as post-operative cognitive dysfunction, and that can affect upwards of 40% of patients over age 65 for one to three months. So this is impacting, you know, I don't even consider that aged, you know, <laughs> 65 right, degrees, right. like such now a like normal, healthy, vibrant right. age. Um, and so really something to be mindful of. And you want to think about the influence of anesthesia on our body. And we think of uh, B vitamins, especially in the world of methylation. So remember, methylation is that process of building or excreting. And our methylation occurs with uh, methylated folate and methylcobalamin, which is B12 and folate. And then there's other methyl donors in the sulfur world, uh, including like glutathione, that grandmama antioxidant. Um, and so these get depleted because of the toxicity to the body or the requirement of methylation and detoxification for the body to biochemically upregulate based on the exposure. Um, so a quality like our, our B complex would be a great thing to layer in. Multi-defense, again, I would, I would keep on that throughout. I wouldn't stop that one pre-op because there aren't direct blood thinners in there. Um, and I think good nutrient density is optimal. Um, cellular antiox is going to be our combination of N-acetylcysteine, glutathione in the acetylated form, and B6. Um, and that would be a fantastic one, as I said, that you wouldn't have to stop pre-op either. And you could stay on post-op. And that's going to really be the big one to support um, your liver clearance of the anesthesia. So cellular antiox is one to think about anytime you have to do any form of anesthesia. Um, and then you could even layer in things like B12 boost, especially if dealing with any neuropathy um, or experiencing chronic fatigue or some of that cognitive decline post-op. Yep. And then you mentioned um, also potentially leading in with detox and then supporting with detox afterward. Um, so like using our detox packs, I think could be a fantastic tool to really bring up and, and only have to stop those, what, the day before surgery? Yeah, likely. It's not high dose turmeric. There's a yeah. little bit of turmeric in the antioxidant blend, but I would I would stop them probably to be fair two days prior, okay. but just to be conservative. Sure. Um, and then you could be taking though a packet rise and a packet bed for a full week leading in or five days leading in, and then um, afterwards, like literally from when you get up, um, you could take a detox pack three times a day for five days in a row and I'd kind of keep at that and then you could keep one pack at bed ongoing or launch right into a 10-day detox two weeks post-op and that's a great way to just kind of push the reset button on the diet. Um, the detox packs are going to have, you know, those three white pills in each pack, which are our ultimate detox, which is all of those sulfur-containing amino acids that aid in methylation, um, but really drive the phase two detox support, which is that encapsulation and excretion. Then there's also going to be a formula in there that's phase one support, which is really more of the hydroxylation or the process of 
turning the toxins that are petrochemical based or fat soluble, or in this case, we'd be hitting on the drug therapy. And um, we upregulate the liver and gallbladder function with this phase one activity. So we have things like ox bile and beetroot and artichoke and milk thistle. And milk thistle is really powerful in regenerating your hepatocytes or your liver cells. Uh, it has been known in clinical research to protect against toxins and reduce free radicals. Um, we see that with milk thistle support, we can actually reduce the depletion of glutathione. And um, again, glutathione is that grandmama antioxidant. And when that gets depleted, the body's entire function gets reduced. And we see huge influence of glutathione in respiratory virus, um, in immune function, in chronic fatigue syndrome, and so much more. Okay, and then continuing to support detox with your diet too with fiber-rich foods, cruciferous veggies, adequate hydration I think is huge, especially if you've been put under just kind of, you know, getting back on your water intake um, as soon as humanly possible. Um, and if you had to be off of hydration for a little bit, you know, you might want to catch up um, and definitely, you know, getting half your body weight in fluid ounces uh, daily for sure. Yeah. And if you are fat, so fasting post-op would be totally reasonable, especially sure. because again, a lot of traumas hit to the body. And so letting the body kind of just go through that process of, um, autophagy and do that cellular cleanup and repair. I would still bring supplements back in though, pretty immediately. The ones especially that we highlighted, like the cell antioxidants, the detox pack, the probiotics, et cetera, inflammasome. Um, and I would at least still bring in then the broth and mm -hmm. the gelatin and then yeah. probably be very vigilant with the sodium again, because of that electrolyte thing. Yeah. So remember if you increase a lot of water drinking, um, you need to also bring in things that have electrolytes like your bone broth and your coconut water. So you don't then dilute your your electrolytes and then you know all your machines start beeping and all the things yes <laughs> um, and then I know some people tend to have worse outcomes with anesthesia than others and I know there's some genetic pieces at play so what should we look at there yeah it's interesting when I was looking at doing a natural birth uh, one of the options that was available in the birth center was nitric oxide or laughing gas and I at first thought like, oh, mm -hmm. I can, that would be great. Um, <laughs> I think I had that like once in a way long ago, I think some dental procedure yeah. at some point, I'm trying to remember, um, but I know I've, I have had it. It's, yeah, I think my wisdom teeth yeah. is when I had it. And they were like, okay, just tell me when you feel funny. And they like came into the room and um, I was like, nope, not yet. And they like left and kept me on it. And they came back in and I like started geeking out. And I was like, ha ha, I could feel it the whole time. <laughs> I was like, I tricked you. And they're like, okay, lady. <laughs> I think I was like 17. They're right, like, okay, right. it's time for your procedure. <laughs> uh, so I, when I was thinking about it with Stella, I was like, oh, this will work fine. And then I started to look into... Um, a lot of Ben Lynch's data on, I know he has a lot of data out there on anesthesia and glutathione and MTHFR, um, but also if you are MTHFR, especially if you're homozygous, um, or if you have impact on your GST1 or your NOS, um, which is your nitric oxide synthase, um, if any of those metabolic um, genetic mutations are, you know, are present within your body. Um, there is concern for nitric oxide driving toxicity and especially buildup in brain. And so that would pass placentally mm -hmm. to baby. And so the concern is like, you've done all of this to, to, to have this super baby with, you know, high DHA and 
optimal anti-inflammatory diet and blood sugar regulation, why would you at that part of them entering into life potentially hinder their right. cognitive function? Right. And, and so would that potentially add risk to failure to thrive or their suckling or, you know, whatnot? And so I, I ended up deciding against that. But then again, right, I was given regional, so and morphine so who knows sure Stella turned out just fine she did it wasn't available to me during my birth because of pandemic stuff and you know I don't I don't know if I would have even thought to use it but I actually used to react really poorly to it now that you mention it whenever I would have a dental procedure I'd get like a really intense epinephrine surge Um, and I don't have MTHFR but I think it's my GST one that impacts me yeah I was shocked to know with my last dental procedure that the anesthesia that they use um you know has epinephrine Mm -hmm. in it because I was getting like tachycardia and I was already anxious um but I was like (sighs) like breathing really heavy he kept saying are you all right and I was like yeah I just feel really speedy and Mm -hmm. he was like oh well there's there is um epinephrine in um you know this this anesthesia yeah. yeah and I was like oh well I didn't know that and what if I because I, I felt like they didn't ask me if right. I was pregnant or if anything was right. going on I was like this could have been really stressful for my body and I did definitely have to take more GABA uh-huh. for like three days after because I felt really extreme kind of surgy yeah, you don't need more epinephrine <laughs> no, <laughs> and I think me. it's it's possible especially for those injectables to ask for it without because in theory you, you could have any kind of underlying condition that you know heart condition or something that that would not work well for you. Yes. So, I mean, the big thing is if you know your genetics, you can have an informed conversation with your surgeon or your practitioner. And, um, you know, you can also just do the work to add in some methylation support, add in, again, that cellular antioxidant is key for the glutathione. And anytime the body is thrown a high toxin load, glutathione levels really plummet and so to be pro-vigilant with getting that cell antiox leading in and post-op I think is is really key there okay so let's shift into um, maybe a little bit around what's most important during that post-op time Um, so pain management wound healing let's hit on some of that okay so pain management would stick with the, again, inflammasome, like I said, more of like a eight a day post-op and then maybe going down to four to six. Um, inflammasome is best without food. So this is like rise midday bed. Um, and the beauty of that, again, is that's going to help with pain management as well as the the um, tissue recovery or repair process. And then by reducing the reactive oxygen species, you're also going to be getting some support and reduction of infection um, and facilitate that wound healing. So that would be, like I said, kind of the star of the show. Super turmeric, you can liken to like a a takeout for an an NSAID drug or medication. So um, you can go upwards of six of those a day, which would be totally appropriate. EPA, DHA extra, again, could go up to six of those a day. Most people are hanging at kind of like three as a baseline of that. Um, And these are all post-op, of course, Mm -hmm. because at this point we're not worried about bleeding out. Um, We're all sewn up and ready to go there. And then, um, you know, leveling up on the CBD, I think, would be key here as well for pain. Um, If we're talking about wound healing, I think the biggest thing that we want to get in the diet, of course, is protein. And so that's why I love the grass-fed way in a post-op, especially if you're dealing with a little bit of fatigue or lower appetite. 
Um, you're able to get 24 grams of protein per scoop, and you're able to get all of those essential amino, amino acids or protein building blocks. And especially if we're talking about like a wound or um, it, it, like if there was like road rash or if there was burn or something mm-hmm. like that. Pressure ulcers. Yeah, yeah. yes, especially in the elderly. Yep. That's a good point, Becky. Um, you know, chronic wounds can increase your protein requirements upwards of 250%. Um, so we really want to increase upwards of like that two grams per kilogram, um, protein intake as a minimum. And the grass fed way is an easy way to do that. Um, and it's kind of pre-digested for you. So not a lot of work for the GI and then, you know, getting, that's where with your meal prep in advance, doing things like, um, pot roast or like soft braised meats, I think work really beautifully. Um, I had like the adrenaline high post C-section where I was like, oh, I want a kale salad with chicken. <laughs> I like looked at it and didn't eat it at all. <laughs> like I was like poking it. I made myself eat the chicken out of it. Okay. And then I ate a lot of jello and sipped bone broth and fell asleep. Yeah. Um, and all that chewing of kale. It was too I just much. Think- too much and your GI is like slowed down. Oh yeah. It no. was really poor choices. Um, yep. So like a, like a, I would have much preferred like a kind of dense stew mm-hmm. kind of deal. Sure. I think would yep. work really beautifully. I brought sweet potato peanut chicken stew to like eat after I gave birth. I was like, I absolutely cannot eat that. <laughs> like, I know it's not surgery, but still like a pretty traumatic. Didn't you make Byron get me a burger on the yeah, way home. Yeah. We got a burger on the way home <laughs> at like 11 a.m. That's good. <laughs> Uh, let's hit on glutamine a little bit. So we talked about L-glutamine in the focus of the GI lining support and that preventing the, you know, impact of NSAID drugs and also, you know, pre-op for colonoscopy, but glutamine is an essential amino acid tool for connective tissue and immune function. Um, let's hit on that a little bit as well. Yeah. So this is one, even within the hospital setting that's recognized. I remember, I think it's called Juven or something, the like... Uh, I don't know if it's a medical food or, or just a supplement because I never actually saw it added to anything, but it'd be the box you check for anyone with a, a wound or a surgery or burn. Um, but research does show that glutamine can promote healing in trauma patients and those with wound healing disorders. So kind of that chronic world of, of wounds. Um, some studies have shown at like one gram per kilogram, which is a pretty high dose of glutamine, um, but for six days preceding and five days after surgery can lower incidence of wound infection in those with colorectal cancer. Um, and especially in that world of, of GI surgery, I would say GI lining is something you should be on, you know, leading up and, and all through the process. Yeah. And then asparginine is another amino acid that I would highlight, uh, especially in the world of tissue recovery and post uh, the impact from anesthesia. So we know that arginine can aid in proline and um, cogn- uh, collagen synthesis. So the building of tissue recovery, essentially. Um, it can stimulate wound healing. Um, doses from six to 30 grams daily have been found to reduce surgical wound complications in patients undergoing several types of surgeries. And when arginine is paired with zinc and vitamin C, especially it has better wound healing on pressure ulcers, which we think of in the aging population. And then other amino acids like ornithine, which is going to be found, you know, in, um, God, (laughs) I don't know anything about this. Skip. (laughs) Agree. <laughs> um, okay. 
another reason for grass-fed away at the end. <laughs> All the more reason for grass-fed away. Okay, I think we hit that. <laughs> yeah, we got to say something, I think. Just grass-fed away. Even like two scoops. I'll just say mm-hmm. that. Like doubling it up in a smoothie. Yeah, so I think all the more reason to get that grass-fed whey in post-op and even doubling up on that for a couple of days, I think that would be totally reasonable to do like two scoops in a smoothie or at least like make a protein muffin or something like that with the whey in it um, or doing it in like a protein pudding or something along those lines. Yes, and then beyond amino acids, I think the world of essential fatty acids is really important. And the omega-3s are one that really get that double effect of reducing the inflammation. But we also see evidence suggests that omega-3s can have immunomodulatory effects. So they can promote local inflammation at the site of the injury where it's needed to facilitate that repair process, but at the same time promote recovery and physical function post-op. So you're getting that pain management and actual recovery repair versus just the pain managers. Sure. Um, And then beyond healthy fats, omega-3s especially, and protein, there are certain, um, you know, trace minerals and micronutrients that also play a big role in not just wound healing, but prevention of infection as well. So we think like copper, selenium, zinc. So this would be all the more reason to take a quality multivitamin throughout this whole process. Right. And the reason to stay on it as well. So, you know, there aren't any, again, the, the kind of rule of thumb of stop all supplements is the idea that the nurse aide who's checking you in isn't, it may not be versed in the drug nutrient interaction of some things. The one we didn't call out Becky that I guess I would add and layer in holding is our vitamin D balance blend because it does have that vitamin K in it. Um, so, you know, vitamin K is uh, one that will actually drive more blood clot formation. The level in our vitamin D does not do that. Um, so obviously it's still a very cardio supportive therapy. Um, it's going to provide, of course, that vitamin D in the form that is less prone towards calcification. It's more concerning if vitamin D is taken high dose on its own because we can see kidney stones and calcification of soft tissues, including like our arteries. And this is where we look at like a carotid uh, calcium scan and see a buildup and heart disease risk. So that's why it's called Balance Blend with that K1, K2, MK7 form, which supports delivering the vitamin D into the bone where it belongs and also to be immunoavailable um, and act as that pro-hormone and all the good stuff. But if I was being you know, proactive, I'd say, eh, yeah, could stop sure. that because yeah. there's potential. Yeah. Um, but yes, in the trace minerals, I think that a multi is a great place to start. Um, a lot of these are going to really work as cofactors to reduce that oxidative stress. So like selenium is in that um, chain of your antioxidants. And so selenium we think of as reducing your um, peroxidase in the thyroid, um, the TPO values, but also we know selenium can also aid in glutathione stores. Um, We know same thing with zinc, um, reducing that oxidative damage, but also a big key tissue repair and growth. And we know zinc is really important mineral that we think of in the world of respiratory infection, as well as immune function. And again, being vigilant in your immune system when you are in a hospital environment is important just because of the quarters and the sterility and those superbugs. Totally. And I think for that reason, vitamin C could actually be a really good intervention um, to kind of have on hand and and do throughout the whole process, especially if you are having um, like an 
bone or joint or um, like a major incision type of surgery um, just because of the effect on collagen formation, but also because it can actually help to reduce risk of sepsis. Absolutely. In fact, I think we should edit and not edit the podcast. We're still live guys, but (laughs) edit our little list and add in that bio C plus in that pre-op bag, because I think that that's a big role in also getting your body ready for the collagen formation and the tissue recovery, as well as reducing that risk factor of of sepsis, which is essentially, I guess we didn't explain that term, but that means internal infection that takes over your body and often leads to to death, Um, often requires high dose IV antibiotics and um, can be a big complication in the medical world. So what do you think, like one to two grams a day? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that would be, you know, starting with two capsules, uh, two to four capsules, and um, that's absolutely one that you could increase post-op, especially if you're feeling a little under the weather. Um, and then getting the rest of your antioxidants, you're going to get a good blend in our multi-defense, um, but you could layer in, of course, phyto compounds in your diet, and that's where if you're eating whole real foods and doing more of a real food approach to keto, you're going to get a lot of that. Yes. Um, And we've hit on proteolytic enzymes, but I think I want to reemphasize the importance of them for um, wound healing and um, scar prevention too and, and reducing scar tissue. Yeah, so proteolytic enzymes are different than your digestive enzymes. So we have digestate in our line, which would be something else to consider, especially post-op if you're dealing with a sluggish digestive system um, or if you you were put on a PPI and then you're not breaking down your foods amply. Digestive enzymes are taken about 10 minutes or 15 minutes prior to food consumption as the idea to break down food so you can absorb the nutrients better and less abrasion to the gut. Um, and facilitate good bowel formation. Proteolytic enzymes are not digestive enzymes. So these are not your lipase and your um, compounds that break down your lipids, carbs, and fats. We're looking at your trypsin, chemotrypsin, um, serapeptidase, all of these proteolytic compounds are actually types of enzymes that would be used without food. They reduce the severity and duration of inflammation in the body. And clinical data shows that when given orally, these proteolytic enzymes can actually reduce post-traumatic and post-surgical pain, facilitate recovery, aid in conditions including cancer, heart disease, reducing scar tissue, um, improving recovery and healing, reducing pain, um, reducing chronic fatigue. This is why we really hit the inflammasome as like that long hauler mm-hmm. element in the DVOC episode. Um, you know, anytime we go through trauma in the body and the body has to kind of pick itself back up, the proteolytic enzymes help to clear debris um, and reduce inflammation while also supporting optimal function in the tissue and can reduce, um, again, abnormal formation. So when we're talking scar tissue or fibroids, um, this is one of my favorite formulas as well for infertility when we're talking about making that uterine tissue supple and an inhabitable environment for a fertilized egg. Yes. Um, okay, just maybe one thing to hit on before... Um we close. Um, I know we talked about um, constipation with some of the opioid drugs. So relax and regulate, I think would be my go-to there. And I would bring that with you absolutely um, in your, your bag. Don't forget it. And you may even need to layer on for a couple of days um, doing the relax and regulate at like two to three. I mean, I always tell people there's no real upper limit on that one. It's just that, you know, you're going to go through your container real fast if you're right. <laughs> taking four scoops a day. 
but you might need that much to kind of get things moving again. Um, and if stool is really, really compacted um, and it's been a couple days, you might even layer on some mag citrate just to kind of help loosen things up and, and flush the bowels. Yeah, I, having bowel motility is really important for optimal post-op outcomes, also prevention of hemorrhoids and all of the other stuff that can be unfavorable. So if you are home or if possible at the hospital setting, if you have a like surgical, not surgical suite, excuse me, a, a recovery suite room where you could do like an Epsom salt bath, mm-hmm. this could also facilitate sure. breaking that up. Um, I would also consider beyond the mag citrate, uh, really high, high hydration. And you could request an enema. Sure. Um, and that yep. would be a, like a fleet enema or soapy, soap sud enema. And that could be something that would be totally reasonable and save yourself um, some longer-term trauma um, if you are dealing with chronic constipation. Yeah, because I think they put everyone on opioids on Miralax typically. Um, So to avoid that, I think an enema would be totally reasonable and local and like one and done. Yeah, most definitely. Um, You know, the big thing is that we know beyond the pain medicine that when you're on a bed for a long period of time that can drive much more risk um, which can delay your recovery time so we're sitting at risk for oh i should share this real quick Um, we're sitting at risk for chronic constipation and then also for blood clots Um, so you know we think of dvts as kind of the big thing the the deep vein um, thrombosis um, which can be a big risk factor and this is where they wanted to put me on um, Levinox as an injectable. Um, and this is like, I literally had just had like my morphine pulled out and they're like, okay, well now the doctor's gonna come in or the nurse with your, your Levinox, whatnot. And I was like, no. Um, and I look of course at the black box warning of it and it's like schedule C. And also um, there's a risk factor following general anesthesia and regional anesthesia, including a spinal. Um, it says literally a spinal regional, which is what I had, high risk for brain bleed out oh no thank you <laughs> and I was like no I was like and they literally had to call pharmacy they brought in their pharmacists and they're like we've actually never seen this contraindication has never been questioned to us this is how this doctor's surgical post-op plan is mm-hmm. is that he gives Levinox to prevent DVTs to people post cesarean and I was like I'm sorry I'm, I'm not like I'll sign something sure but, so they, they came up with a compromise that they put these really loud airbags yeah. on my yeah. um, legs they're like Psh, and so that they were pumping my legs sure. because I still had my catheter in at that time and I wasn't able to like get up to go to the bathroom and you know because I was literally just torn open um, all the things and um, I was like yeah cool give me the loud space pants right <laughs> and how, how many people don't question that intervention and I think that's important to like literally look up and, and you know having an advocate with you I think for that reason is key but having your like iPad or your computer so you can real quick look up and and google side effects and um you know advocate for yourself in that way and i think for the dbt prevention to you know movement as soon as possible if you're yes. not bedridden um and then um you could add in the epa dha oh, yeah, that's right away too, too. Like, yeah i was like i'm on three grams of yeah. epa and and they were like oh and i was like there's no way i'm i'm blood clotting right right <laughs> i was like it's re- very limited possibility and i opt out right yeah it was get me out of here <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Okay, um, so we covered colonoscopy prep. I think I wanted to cover that. Um, I wanted to ask about um, 
oral surgery, um, yes. any like added layers. You alluded to the herbal immune and berberine in the beginning, just because yeah. you're kind of hitting a lot of that oral microbiome. And again, same thing for deep cleaning of the gums. I think mm-hmm. that that's really important. So beyond the beet the bloat cleanse, having some of that stuff on hand, you guys know there's multifactorial use of both of those formulas. Um, but herbal immune, especially because that tends to be more of that aromatic one, um, can even help with like heliotosis, bad breath, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's a key one. And then maybe bringing in like a biocidin or perio wash mouthwash um, that you would do leading in and then also post. Uh, osteofactors is one that we haven't commented on. So obviously if it is a like tendon tissue repair, all the things we've already said, but if it's an actual um, like hip replacement sure. or bone, bone joint fracture, yeah. um, or bone fracture from a fall or a, a periodontal teeth extraction where you want that gum um, bone part to repair and grow, um, osteofactors is going to be key. And that's that MCHC form, microcrystalline hydroxycalapatite form of calcium, which is from uh, grass-fed cows in New Zealand. So it's actually bone-derived bioavailable calcium. And I'd say that's good for any, you know, um, orthopedic type of procedure. Sure. Um, and then I recently, I've had a couple clients actually, I don't know if you've had this experience, Ellie, um, a couple clients who had breast implants and, um, were dealing with some, I'm thinking of one client in particular, um, who has Hashimoto's and was dealing with, you know, some autoimmune complications and we could not get her antibodies under control. And when that came up, like often it doesn't come up in the first session. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when I ask about like surgeries, hospitalizations, procedures, that kind of thing, people don't think about cosmetic procedures in that same way. Right. Um, but I've had quite a few clients now that have at least suspected that their implants, their breast implants are causing autoimmune, you know, like illness or an actual autoimmune disease. And they've chosen to get explant surgery, which I think we're going to see that more and more popular in the coming years. Um, people are starting to talk about it. Yeah, I think it's a lot of that, again, lack of informed consent of you do something young and think it's right. <laughs> harmless. And then, you know, your body has uh, either, there can be like graft versus host, uh, not the same to the level of an organ uh, re- transplant rejection, but the body can kind of battle the foreign entity. There can be leaching. Um, there can be all sort of drama. And one of the big things we get concerned about with explant surgery is in the world of bacterial, so so sepsis, yes, mm-hmm. again, um, but also like fungal um, activity. And we can see this, especially if there was any leaking yeah. in the implant. Yep. And then that can get actual, uh, you know, pH changes because there's um, some interplay with your body. And then also we can get overgrowth of fungal internally. So doing a beat the bloat cleanse, like actually pre and uh, post and maybe even having halfway in the middle and then taking a week hiatus and then continuing on like two weeks in and then maybe take your five days pre-op and then you start the cleanse again and do the full six weeks. Um, would be very appropriate and uh, being pro-vigilant with the detox packs and I think then the rest of kind of the protocol, the Salientiax, the BioC Plus, all would be good fits. Yeah, and there's like specific um, types of surgery um, that, you know, go in and and ensure you're removing the whole capsule because I think that's the issue with the saline implant is that they can rupture and that there's actual, you can see like mold growth in there um, versus the um, silicone implant, which is more like you said, like the graft versus host foreign object in your body. Yeah. 
Wow, lots of things. Oh, final, final thing. Goodness gracious. (laughs) Okay, final thing, just in the world of like surgery, which this isn't surgery, but if we're talking like lacerations or cuts and scrapes. Yeah, let's talk about that. um, I want to just put this in the protocol. And so I'll just shout it out real quick. I share this on Instagram stories all the time. Um, So because Stella doesn't have tetanus shot, um, we are pro-vigilant because we like to play in the soil. And, you know, tetanus is a soil-based organism. Um, it's a bacteria, right? And um, so we think of like rusty nails. Um, we think of also like um, stakes, like wooden stakes that were in the ground for long periods of time. And, um, you know, any of those big, deep cuts that can get into the tissue. And then we worry about t- tetany in the muscular muscular structure. Um, the big thing always that I weigh out with everything is, again, kind of cost to benefit or risk to um, a true risk to what we can do about it type of approach. And so we always like to be pro-vigilant and clean any wound with hydrogen peroxide. Um, we follow that with iodine. And iodine has been used for decades and was always used as a go-to pre-op um, sterilizer and a little bit of an antiseptic. Um, and so that's um, going to be that kind of colored, thicker, viscous iodine that I'd put on after we wash the wound with the hydrogen peroxide. And pretty much we just spray direct from the bottle the hydrogen peroxide. The iodine I put on with a cotton swab. And then I might even do another round of that depending Um, and then we just, um, we may layer in an antibacterial cream, um, depending on how high, I think how deep the cut is. Um, otherwise we might just let it be at that and and cover it and keep it clean and watch and monitor it. Um, but that's where I might use like a naprox, excuse me, um, like neosporin, I meant to say, um, to, to kind of pack into there. And then I would put a bandaid over that. And then we watch, we double down on her probiotics so that her immune system has all of the good gut flora to activate. And if there was anything in her body that was foreign, she can battle it. We double down on the, the vitamin C and the vitamin D as well. And then we just monitor and watch. And the big deal is, you know, if something were to progress unfavorably, we have the luxury being in our country to have access to IV antibiotics and it would be nipped in the bud and treated. And so monitoring, watching your child for signs of fever and things like that, of course, would be important too. Yeah. You keep that in your car. Always. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) All right. So tons of things to think about today in your pre and post surgery recovery. Of course, our intention and goal is that you can all use food as medicine to avoid any of these things. But you know, some of these are proactive wellness type procedures that would be necessary and um, are all a part of our journey. So hopefully there's some empowering information. Go on over to AllieMillerRD.com where you can check out our protocols and you can get this whole as a deep dive. You could send a link to it to a family member or friend and maybe consider putting together from our pre-op essentials a little gift goodie basket um, with all of our favorite products. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.